So now we'll talk about Israel. So I have sort of two semi-full segments on Israel. I say semi-full because um, I'm not entirely sure how long it'll take me to get through each of them. But they're connected, but I feel like it's good enough to sort of distinguish between them and make them their own separate thing. So we'll just run through this and we'll see uh, how long it takes me to get through this. We might have a bit of a shorter episode. Well, not, not shorter with that rapid fire episode. Well, episode. That, not, not sure what that rapid fire segment, but we have two things on Israel to get through. One of them is Israel becoming the terrorists that they swore to destroy, and the other is Israel walking down the dark path of genocide. And the one leads to the other, and we'll start with Israel acting like a terrorist organization. Acting like a terrorist organization. Now, it, this is not uh, a unique condemnation of Israel. I've said re- repeatedly that Ukraine is a nuclear terrorist state. Why do I call them a nuclear terrorist state? Because they, they tried to use nuclear weapons and nuclear power plants as a means of fighting Russia. They tried to bomb the power plants in Zaporizhia and Kherson. They tried to bomb Chernobyl when the war first began. And they they bombed Engels Air Base. <clears throat> they, they bombed all these nuclear installations, right? And beyond the, the potential fallout of, uh, of a reactor meltdown from shelling nuclear power plants uh, and Chernobyl, of all places, uh, beyond the potential of triggering a nuclear response from Russia by attacking an airbase known for housing its nuclear weapons uh, with these long-range drones, you could have hit anywhere in Russia. You chose to hit Engels Air Base. With, beyond... Those things, beyond the threat of a nuclear retaliation from Russia, the attacks on nuclear installations and the threat of unleashing nuclear radiation that would have impacts not just on Russia and Ukraine, but on Eastern Europe as a whole and potentially regions outside of it, depending on uh, the jet stream and the flow of radiation in the water, and whether or not the fish get sick and irradiated and they start traveling to other parts of, you know, the Middle East and Europe, Southern Europe, uh, you know, moving into the Mediterranean or to the other side of the Black Sea, where they would impact Turkey, Georgia, and etc. That, you know, combined with the British sending them depleted uranium rounds, uh, and of course, when the Russians blew up that munitions dump, it had uh, depleted uranium in it, and thus, it, the effect of bombing that one um, ammunition depot had the effect of irradiating a whole patch of Ukrainian land. But from using, uh, from using depleted uranium rounds on Russian soldiers, which would cause radiation poisoning if it, if it pierced through you, from trying to bomb a, a facility known for housing nuclear weapons, from trying to shell power plants, nuclear power plants, which brought with the the danger of a nuclear reactor meltdown and irradiating all of Eastern Europe. Potentially, but at the, the, sh- uh, the small scale level, irradiating Eastern Ukraine and Southern Belarus, because Chernobyl is down there right on the border. This is a nuclear terrorist state. If you're you're a, a nuclear terrorist state, and the, the terrorist comes from these random attacks 
on civilian installations, uh, random attacks on, uh, you know, Gomo, because remember the, the various raids that they've done across the border and into Gomo, and one time they lost 150 men, and then you have the, the Crimea, the Kerch Strait Bridge, the bridge that runs from Russia into Crimea that they, they had a truck bomb on. Uh, the, the, these are acts of terrorism. And terrorism that is uh, seemingly directed, not seemingly, overtly directed at nuclear installations most of the time. That is nuclear terrorism. So I have levied this accusation against the Ukrainians because that's what they do. And now Israel, in its war against Palestine, seems to be walking down, seems to be walking down a very similar path. Not similar in that they're targeting nuclear reactors, although they, they did that during a war between uh, Iraq and Iran. You know, they, they bombed nuclear reactors in Iraq. So you, you could, if you're looking at the broader arc of Israeli history, you could make that claim. But specifically as it regards the war in Palestine, they're becoming the terrorist organization. They're, they're becoming the thing that they swore to destroy, because Hamas is supposed to be the savage animal barbarian terrorists. But... Israel is the one killing civilians uh, blindly, just blindly. It, it, you couldn't kill more civilians if you put a man with a gun in the middle of, a, of a, a shopping district, blindfolded him, and told him to pull the trigger. Well, you, you would, as a matter of fact, you'd probably, you'd probably have a better chance of avoiding civilians if you did that. And I say that because at this point, it's deliberate. They are deliberately killing civilians. They go out of their way to kill civilians. And, and the only time this causes, you know, outrage among the Israel simps is when this bloodlust is turned back onto the Israelis. If you remember those Israelis who sort of got, who managed to escape their captivity from Hamas, came out, they used their shirts, they were shirtless. They used their shirt to make a, a, a makeshift white flag. And they were saying, please help in Hebrew, and they were still shot by the Israelis. So what do you think the if if they they come out with their hands up with a a white flag saying help me in Hebrew? What do you think the Israelis would do to the Palestinians? And, and it's not like it's not well documented that the policy of Israel when it's occupying these regions in Gaza and and the West Bank. It's not like it isn't well documented that their policy is that if the other side turns their back to you, you shoot them. You know, if they try to flee from the scene, you're supposed to shoot them. That's what they do, and this is well documented. So, it, all that in, all that in retrospect, says that you know, a lot of this should have been seen coming from miles away. A lot of it should have been seen coming from miles away. But alas, here we are today, where this is news to us all. But it's it's beyond just killing civilians, right? Uh, or I, I should say just shooting at them anyway, because Israel is now bombing everything in sight. It, it, as if they weren't before, but let, let me just get into this. I'm, I'm making distinctions that all, uh, I think are there, but when I say them out loud, they're not there. <laughs> We have Israel last week. They bombed two pipelines in Iran, specifically the Iranian provinces of Fars and Chaharmahal, Chaharmahal uh, Bakhtir, Chaharmahal Bakhtir. 
Now, these are provinces in south and central Iran that, again, have these pipelines that carried oil and refined petroleum from the south of Iran, where the refineries are. The refineries are sort of along the coastline where it's easier to, you know, get the oil out via a container ship. You refine it, and you it's a very brief train ride to the port, and then you can export your oil uh, almost immediately after it's refined. And then you send via pipeline the refined product up north to the big cities uh the big cities uh well, well i have the names right here tehran mashhad and isfahan isfahan is more in like central iran but still to the north you know uh to the north of the refineries i should say uh fa Mash, mashhad and tehran now those are to the north uh, and mashhad is like straight northeast like way to the northeast and tehran is sh uh, almost at the very tippy top of iran at the almost along the Caspian Sea. So these are crucial pipelines that supply oil to the major population centers of Iran, and Iran being a country of 80 million people. 80 million people. So this is what uh, Israel is doing now. And mind you, they're not at war with Iran. But they, they continue on with this this undeclared war, and, uh, uh, and it isn't just even uh, pipelines that they bombed, um, because l this Thursday they had also bombed a chemical plant in Iran, causing a large fire at the facility. So again, this is a, a continuation of this sort of silent, undeclared war that Israel's been fighting against Iran for quite some time, and we've observed on this podcast for quite some time. But now it's not quite as silent, even if still undeclared. Last week, Israel also bombed Lebanon. That's right. It's, it's, it, this isn't just contained Iran and, and Palestine. They bombed Iran. They bombed Lebanon. They killed four and injured nine others. And of the four killed, one was a woman and two were her kids. So, uh, again, Israel just not even trying to target the people who actually harmed them, which in the case of Lebanon would be Hezbollah, and in the case of Iran, not at all, because the Iranians aren't the one fighting you. The Iranians aren't the ones fighting you. And you don't want them to be the ones fighting you when you're struggling as much as you are against Hamas, uh, you know, supposedly, you know, they, they, they say that they're fighting Hamas. They say, and they, they claim that every adult man who has died was Hamas, which is statistically impossible. And I've, I've gone over multiple times why it's statistically impossible, so I'll just refer you to last week's episode, because I went over it briefly then. But also, my episode, you know, saying that they've crossed the line to being, you know, committing genocide. Crossing the threshold of genocide. I'll refer you to that episode, to because I, I know for a fact that in previous episode that we just did, and in that episode, I broke down exactly how these numbers paint the picture of genocide rather than the picture that Israel wants us to believe, which is that they're, they're so discriminatory in their attacks and that they're, they would never kill kids and women. You know, every adult man in Gaza is Hamas. Sure. But again, I've gone over this multiple times. So I'll refer you to those previous episodes as to why this is a load of shit. <laughs> and that's what it is. It is a load of shit. But 40% of the deaths in Gaza are children. And now here, with this bombing in Lebanon, 50% of the deaths are children. 
It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It, you're not even you're not even trying. Like, how is a woman and two kids Hezbollah? How is that Hezbollah? How are you fighting Hezbollah by by, by killing them? You you didn't even, you didn't even hit Hezbollah. You you just hit some random civilians, but you want me to believe that you are only killing the people that you say you're killing when you have shown none of the prerequisite discretion necessary for me to give you that benefit of the doubt. And it it just it seems like they've doubled down on this this larger trend, right? That we've observed since the beginning of this round of fighting in Gaza, where they have they're pursuing a, a collective punishment of entire countries, like instead of actually fighting the people who harm them, which in the case of Lebanon is Hezbollah, in the case of Gaza it's Hamas. Instead of actually fighting the people who harmed you, you're claiming to fight the people who harmed you while committing collective punishment against entire countries and the populations of the countries from which the attackers hailed. And ironically, not killing a single one of the people who attacked you in the process. I would call it dumb if it wasn't so intentional. Well, I guess intentional things can be dumb. But uh, in the in the case of what Israel is trying to do here, it is dumb. And it is stupid because it's going to lead to their own undoing. But we can't say it is a mishap. I'll, I'll put it that way. It's not a mishap that it happened this way. It's intentional. They want to do this. They want to kill civilians. Now, whether they think this is going to send a message uh, to the, the, the fighters of Hamas and Hezbollah to, to just slaughter their families, we could kill your family overnight, and you'll, you'll never, you, you can't stop us. Whether, whether that's a sort of a, a twisted demoralization tactic, or if there's, it's literally just bloodlust, we want to do something about these people that we can't hit, so we're going to kill their families. Except we don't actually know if it's their families or not. <laughs> so we're just going to kill random civilians. And hope that it's one of their families. We... Collective punishment of entire countries for the actions of militias. Collective punishments of entire populations in response for the actions of... Uh, people who happen to be from these populations. I mean, they, they've straight up, they've traded in ethnic cleansing, which is what they were doing in Palestine for the longest. All right, let's, uh, the Israel simps love to pretend that that's not what was happening and that that doesn't play a role in how Israel ends up being attacked on October the 7th. But, but that's how it is. No, that's how it is. Israel was going all in on ethnic cleansing before. That's what this, the resettlement program is for. That's what the annex, the de facto annexations of, of parts of Gaza and the West Bank are for. That's what the annexation of the East Palestine, of not East Palestine, of East Jerusalem was for. They're trying to squeeze the Palestinians off of the land that we call Palestine to make greater Israel. They don't want to have to share the land with the Palestinians. 
They want a they want a one state solution, but they don't want to accommodate the Palestinians. They want a one state solution, but they also want to be an ethno state at the same time. But the problem with that is that they don't want the borders that they have. They want Palestine's land. They want they want Palestine's land, but they don't want to share it with the Palestinians. They want to be an ethno state, which is they want it. So if you want to be an ethnostate, but you want land belonging to another ethnicity, well, the logical conclusion of that is going to be ethnic cleansing. Especially if you're the one with the military power to for impose your will on the other side. Which is the case when we're looking at Israel-Palestine. Israel is the military superior here. They have the bombs, they have the artillery, they have the jets. And thus, they are the occupying force in Palestine. And what we get, what we get, and what we've seen is that them they've been gradually forcing the Palestinians out of their home. They'll they'll force the Palestinians out of their home, build a wall, keep them coming back, and then say, "Oh look, some new real estate is on the market. Let's move a nice Israeli family into that home, shall we?" And then you get these horror stories where sometimes the Palestinians are able to get past the defenses meant to keep them out only to find that their home that their home has been stolen from them by some random and it's like why why what did I do to deserve this and to a certain level it's not necessarily uh, you know the Israelis are just evil people because if you're someone who's just looking out for your family and you see, oh, look, there's some cheap land that the government just acquired from those other people, well, I could stand on my morals and say, I'll never take that land. How could you? I could do that. Or I could say, here's a place where I can have my, where me and my family can settle down. So the human dynamic comes into play. And the human dynamic often complicates things that we, in abstract make out to be simple things and which is all the more reason why you shouldn't be putting people in these situations to begin with as a government but this is the goal you incent this is how you incentivize your population to go along with ethnic cleansing you give them a stake in it here's some cheap land that you can have you can raise your family in you just have to not say anything <laughs> you just have to go along with our policy towards Gaza and if you're the guy who's getting a house, well, you're not going to say anything. Why would you? If, if the Palestinians get their, especially once you build this up over time, and now there's a decent chunk of the population whose land, who are homeowners on stolen land, well, why would anyone of those people advocate for going back to the 1967 borders? Why would any of them advocate for that? Why would they advocate for a two-state solution that would involve them losing their home? They wouldn't. They're going to say Palestine has to make do with what they have. Or better yet, and then and then the, the next step comes into play. Once you have a large enough number of people who've gotten houses and um, land this way, people who haven't had that opportunity yet are going to feel like they would, they're going to be robbed of having that same opportunity if you have some sort of arrangement with the Palestinians. This is the sort of human dynamic that goes on. It's sort of like, uh, to, to compare it to the United States, how southern, white Southerners in the South 
part of their interpretation of what the American dream was, was to be able to own slaves. So that's part of the reason why they would side with these big plantation owners who, by any economic means, was not their friend. Like, from a class and politics perspective, they were not the friend of the average white small farmer in the South. But the small farmer looked at his surroundings and said, look at the wealth that those plantation owners have. One day I can get my own slave and I can create and generate that kind of wealth for myself. I can have someone else working my fields and I don't have to pay them. That is a true freedom. That's the American dream. A sort of twisted sense of opportunity that hinges on the robbing of opportunity, the robbing of humanity from another group of people. But once you, you know, get set into that line of thinking, it becomes really difficult to break away from it. And you see that happening on the ground with Israel-Palestine. And so you get the consent, be it passive or active, you get the consent for ethnic cleansing because it creates opportunities for the regular Israeli person. And that's part of the reason why this, if we're being perfectly honest here, that is part of the reason why this is allowed to continue. Because the Israelis, the citizenry benefits from it. Why, no one's going to vote against their own interests. Incentivizing ethnic cleansing. But with this war, we've seen ethnic cleansing evolve or devolve, depending on how you look at it. We've seen the push for ethnic cleansing degenerate into genocide. They have traded in ethnic cleansing for genocide because these are the things they were doing before the war. But now with the war, now with the war, they're just straight up killing the Palestinians. Before it was, we're going to move the Palestinians off the land and resettle it with Israelis and just gradually push the Palestinians out. Now it's, we're just going to kill you and we're going we're gonna to send our troops into Gaza and kill anything that moves. We're going to bomb hospitals. We're going to bomb refugee camps. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, they've traded in ethnic cleansing for genocide. And it, and it seems that this impulse to kill is no longer restrained to just the Palestinians. Israel is now lashing out at just about everybody that they have ever deemed to be a threat to themselves. As evidenced by bombing Iran, bombing Lebanon, bombing Gaza, and probably more on the way. I wouldn't be surprised if they started bombing Syria again and bombing Iraq. I, I actually, as a matter of fact, I think they did bomb Iraq uh, a few weeks ago. All, they're just lashing out at everybody that they have ever deemed to be a threat. And this this shocking display of inhumanity and, quite frankly, self-destruction will only be used against them in court. That genocide ruling, which will come down from the ICJ, is all but inevitable at this point. It is all but inevitable. It's just a matter of how many people will have to die before that ruling is reached. And then what comes after? Because just because the ruling is reached, uh, you know... Uh, stating the obvious, which is that Israel's committing a genocide, that's one thing, right? It is another thing to actually stop 
the genocide. However, I thought about this and thought about, well, what's the UN going to do about it? What's the UN going to do about this? But then I, I remembered, you know, sort of just in a, a sort of flash, uh, flash, uh, I, I don't I don't want to call it a, a eureka or an epiphany. It's not quite on that level. But, you know, when you when you remember something that you knew, but you forgot that you knew, when we invaded Iraq, we asked for permission from the UN on both occasions. We were granted permission the first time, denied permission the second time. But that we did that before the invasion of Iraq. And we presented the evidence for why the quote-unquote evidence for why it was a good idea to the UN. And then we went in. With this genocide ruling against the ICJ and the buildup of tensions and animosity between Israel and its neighbors, particularly over the issue of genocide in Gaza, when that guilty ruling comes down on Israel, the case will essentially have already been made by for, um, for the Arab state. The case will have already been made for an intervention in Israel to stop genocide. That might be how this goes down. That that's uh, the path towards how exactly the international coalition gets formed against Israel is starting to clear. It's not just gonna. It may just be how we saw with the Houthis, where they some people just wake up one day and choose violence. But for the states that are really trying to contain this conflict, like Arabia, Iran, uh, Egypt. For them, they don't really want to just jump into a war against Israel. Turkey does, but it would take more pushing for them. However, if a genocide ruling comes down on Israel, well now, to do anything else becomes to, is to be complicit in this. right? And there will still be the Arabs, the Arabs, they're still going to try to uphold their diplomatic channel. But with that genocide ruling in the OIC, we might see some country in the Middle East or some organization like the Organization of Islamic Cooperation or the Arab League, some representative of those uh, entities might go to the UN and ask the UN for, for uh, a sort of approval, a UN authorization for an, a joint, a coalition against Israel on the grounds of stopping genocide. And suddenly, the Houthi war, the Houthi war in the Red Sea, gets trans, uh, sort of transformed into a, a crusade against genocide, which they already claim that it is. But with an official genocide ruling, they can more legitimately say that, and they can claim to be the first party to the war to stop genocide, and they will have legitimate claim to that. You know, legitimate claim yeah, after Hamas itself. But we might see, we might be watching the formations, the, the groundwork, if you will, for this coalition against Israel. Uh, but that is the Israel becoming a terrorist side of this uh, uh, conflict equation.